0: You are listening to UBC Waco podcast. (laughs) Are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. Hi. My name's Taylor Post, as I said earlier, as many of you know. And here's the thing to get us started. I think of myself as a person with normal-sized ears until I have to wear this headset. And I feel like I have to pinch it so tiny And I don't understand it. And I just wanted to share that with you before we got started. Um, Surprise, I'm preaching today. (laughs) And um, uh, it is because I asked Josh what I should say about his absence. And um, they have a case of COVID in their family. And so um, they decided that the, the safest thing, Josh decided the safest thing for him to do was stay home, take care of their kids, and be present. Um, and I think that's a responsible choice. So, but be you know, sending prayers and thoughts and vibes to the Carnies as they deal with that. Um, I one thing I like to say when I start preaching is that I am very thankful to be here with all of you um, and to get this opportunity to preach. And um, I say that for myself to offer thanks to you guys, but also um, I know there are people here who've never, I mean, I don't know if you're here, but there are people in the world who've never seen a woman preach. Um, There are places where that opportunity is not afforded to women, and so I am just always thankful to be in a place that makes room for women's voices in the pulpit. Um, You know, I know that's not given to everyone, and so... um, I'm thankful to be at a place to work at a church, to be a part of a people that honors the voices of women and their ability to steward a message from God. So, thank you for this opportunity. Um, I do not take it lightly, and I'm excited to be here and to learn and grow with you as we're formed by the Spirit today. Um, I appreciate Jamie's prayer for us every week, and I echo it now. May the Spirit empower you to hear the words I'm about to speak, and be formed by them in the same way that the Spirit formed me this week as I wrote them. So our text for this week is Isaiah 35, 4 through 7, Um, already read for us, but I'm going to read it again because it's short and I want to. Um, So in the NIV it says, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. God will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. God will come to save you. And then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, and the thirsty ground bubbling springs." Now I'm going to read it again in the message version because I love Eugene Peterson and I love the message and I want you to listen for the differences. So how do you hear it differently in this version? Tell fearful souls, courage, take heart. God is here, right here, on the way to put things right and redress all wrongs. God is on the way. God will save you. Blind eyes will be open, deaf ears unstopped, lame men and women will leap like deer, the voiceless will break into song. Springs of water will burst out in the wilderness, streams flow in the desert, hot sands will become a cool oasis, thirsty ground, a splashing fountain. In so many ways, the book of Isaiah is about the fate of Jerusalem, it's a book about the Babylonian exile what happened before the exile, during the exile, and after Israel got to return home from Babylon. Chapter 35 was likely written during the, ba- during the exile. So there are two ways that Isaiah has been understood over the last few centuries, two ways it's been studied. And so the first and older way to look at it and understand it um, was to break it up into three Books based on authorship, so based on who scholars thought had written those three books: um, Proto Isaiah, the first book, deutero Isaiah, and TritoIsaiah. Isaiah. It's not very like creative or anything. Um, this is understood to be the general structure of the book through most of the 20th century, and our passage for today is found in Proto Isaiah, which is thought to contain the words of the original Isaiah and discuss life. Before and during the exile. But over the course of the last 50 or so years, there's been a change in how scholars think about Isaiah. Instead of breaking the book up into three sections, many scholars now see the book as split into two parts, concerned more with literary and formal characteristics as opposed to authorship. So the first section is thought to mostly be made up of warnings of judgment and also restoration for Jerusalem, Judah, and the rest of the nations. And the second section is in a time after judgment has already happened and restoration is beginning to take place. Isaiah 35 is in that second section, so when restoration is beginning to take place. So if we place ourselves in the text, if we look around to see what's going on, we know that Israel has found itself in a place where it has long been waiting for restoration. They've been in exile for a long, long time. Generations and generations, the text tells us at different points, but they are beginning to see the seeds of restoration. They're beginning to see and remember what God has done for them and what God can do for them. And, you know, um, I don't know if that has any real context in our life, I don't know if we could all collectively imagine a world in which for months and months we all sat around with varying levels of anxiety, feeling like hope and restoration were very far away, and we wondered what the world was coming to, and some days we lived pretty normally, and some days it was hard to get out of bed, and always we missed things that were very important to us that had been lost, and it seemed like we were all very far apart from each other. I don't, you know, I don't know if we could all imagine a world like that, that might have happened, or might still be happening. Um, And really, I don't just mean the pandemic. I guess what I mean is that life is hard, always. And that's not to say that all lives are equally hard. We must always admit the truth of intersectionality and acknowledge our layers of privilege. But Mostly, I mean it in a be kind to strangers for everyone you meet is going through a secret battle classroom wall poster type of way, which is cheesy, but also exceedingly true. If I made a list of all of the life-altering pain that each person in this room is currently dealing with, it would take days. Life is hard. Life is hard right now for all of us. And this is one of the things I love about scripture, because we get all these promises in this passage, but by um, giving the promises, the passage implicitly admits that life is hard. If life wasn't hard, we wouldn't have to proclaim that God was coming to save us. We wouldn't have to talk about thirsty grounds becoming splashing fountains. But Isaiah does address those things. And in doing so, we understand that God knows about our pain, that God sits with us in it. We understand that we are known and we are seen, and our pain is acknowledged not just by anyone, but by God. And the thing is, this text is about so much more than that. It's not just about our pain, it's also about what comes after. It's about what happens when God makes God's way to us. It's about when God makes things right. When the voiceless break into song and springs of water burst out into the wilderness. And I don't think that's exactly where we are in the story yet, but I know I've seen and experienced pieces of it. When I eat a meal with a friend and it lasts much longer than I was anticipating, and we laugh harder than we thought, and we maybe drink a little more than we were going to, and I feel seen and I feel known by somebody. When I'm floating in the Guadalupe River on a perfect day and the clouds look like they came from Toy Story, and when I get out, I have a good book to read and fresh cherries to eat, and I feel as if the world was created to be enjoyed. When I make a mistake, Or when I injure someone and they choose forgiveness and friendship instead of holding a grudge, and I can hardly believe that humans can be so full of goodness. That's when I remember that God is coming to make things right. There's a moment at the end of Act Two of Handel's Messiah. You're probably familiar with it, it's the Hallelujah Chorus. And the lyrics are simple but repetitive. First, the choir says, hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. And they say it like a hundred million times. Um, And then it says, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And I don't know quite what it is. Is it the music? Is it the words? The choir? The declaration of God's glory? The reminder of God's power? Realistically, it's probably a mix of all of it. But whenever I hear it, I get that everything is going to be good feeling. And so I wanted to take a minute for all of us to listen together. And here's the thing, it might not do it for you, do you know? I know I'm taking a risk, okay? Um, so, so please indulge me, um, and I want you to get in a comfortable, comfortable position, uh, close your eyes if you need to, um, and as you listen, I want you to remember that God is here with us, with you, right here. God is coming to make all things right. God will, God has, and God is going to save you. Think about that as we listen. said. I don't know if that does for you. It does for me. It makes me want to fist pump the air. It makes me very excited. (laughs) And it also makes me feel, um, you know, as if I'm known by God. I think it's like, you know, that type of music has very many rules. I'm not normally a rule person, but it follows all of them. So um, I hope you feel as if God knows you, as if God sees your pain and is on the way to you as if God is already with you, closer to you than a family member. I hope you know and feel that God is for you, always and eternally. You are loved by the divine who created all things and who reigns forever. Um, but, <laughs> but I think this is a question worth asking. What does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us right now? What does that mean for us when we walk out these doors and get in our cars? We are in pain. We see pain in the world around us. We see pain in our neighbors and our friends and our family members, and we know God's promises. We believe that God is coming, that God is coming to make all things right and that God will make all things just and good. And so what do we do right now? while we're in the middle of it, when we see flashes of the promises, but we still live in the pain. Well, let me tell you something that's not a secret. Most people only perform Handel's Messiah until the end of part two, the Hallelujah Chorus. But there are actually three movements of the piece. Even after the beautiful, glorious declaration of God's power and promises, there is still more work to do. And so it is in our text for today. Just after our text in Isaiah 35, 8 through 10, there's talk of a highway, a holy road that leads us back to God. The journey, the dream of reconciliation with God and with all things is twofold, at least. First, what happens, what has already happened, is that God reveals God's own self to us. And that has to happen first, right? Because what we know about God is that God is more than we are in every way. So if we are imagining a God that loves other people, that cares for other people, that believes in justice as much as we do, then we are really just imagining ourselves as God, But because God has revealed God's own self to us through the sacrificial work of Christ and because God continues to reveal God's self to us through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we know that God is more loving than we are. We know that God is more just than we are, more knowledgeable than we are, that God has more discernment than we do. God is better and bigger and more than we are in every way. And because God loves us, Because God loves us, God has revealed God's self to us so that we can know God. And so that we too can dream about a better world where we are all reconciled to God. So that's how the journey begins. God first came to us so that we could know God. And that is how we know these promises in Isaiah to be true that we can confidently proclaim to fearful hearts that they should have courage and take heart because we know, because we believe deep in ourselves that God is really coming to save them and to save us and to make things right. But the second part of the journey then is our journey back to God. Not because God has left us, but because In a million tiny ways, we have moved away from God. Not on purpose and not maliciously, but we all make mistakes. We've all thought first of ourselves or thought last of ourselves, valued ourselves too highly or lowly. We're all occasionally hateful. We make the wrong choices on purpose, or we convince ourselves that we never mess up, that we know better than everyone around us. We lack humility. And the thing is, I don't know, I, I can't know. I can't know what it looks like for you when you forget that you are loved by God and so you try to earn it instead of living into it. But I know we all do it and I know that it moves us away from God. So if we can see the pain and we know the promises, but they aren't here quite yet, You know, what are we supposed to do? I learned recently that the word for hope and the word for waiting have the same root in Spanish. Esperar. We are waiting expectantly. We are hoping every day for the very first moment that springs of water burst out into the wilderness and streams flow in the desert. And in our waiting... In our hoping, we are not passive. Ours is a hope that is full of activity because God has already come to us. God has already revealed to us what love and justice and kindness and joy and safety feel like. And so as we journey back towards God, we begin to take on these attributes more and more. The Holy Spirit moves with us and helps us to become more like Christ in the world. And this, you know, this means big things for our lives. How should I spend my money? And it means small things. Am I being kind and gracious to my coworkers? And it means important things. Am I doing a good job loving my neighbor? It means all these things in equal measure. And also, just so we're all on the same page, here's the reality. I live with my sister. And if you asked her how I'm doing at loving my enemies, she would not have good things to say. Right? I'm not doing well. Not well. So we do not do these things perfectly. It's not like we write them down, put them on a list, and check them off one by one. It's really important to me that you guys, that you Enneagram ones, hear me say that. Okay? Do not do that. Do not make a checklist. Okay? We, <laughs> that's not what's going on. The journey back to God is not a list. But once we've known and experienced the love of God, we begin to wait. We begin to hope for all those promises, the promises of love and justice and peace, to be lived out. And in our waiting, we begin to live out those promises ourselves we are responsible for making the world a more just, a more fair, a more kind and caring and gracious place. And we do that with our actions as we work on ourselves and work in the world around us. UBC, as we approach this week, let us live out lives of hopeful expectancy. Let us look for grace and let us be gracious. Let us look for kindness and let us be kind. Let us look expectantly for justice and let us work towards justice all the time. UBC, you are loved by God. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you can spread hope in this world. Let's pray. Creator God, we are thankful for your promises. We are thankful for your faithfulness. We are thankful that you have shown us what it looks like to love well and to pursue justice in this world. We ask that you be with us this week. We ask that we you help us to see you in every place that you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. After the sermon portion of the service, um, we like to take a moment to reflect in silence so that the Holy Spirit can correct.